Well, good morning, church family. This is Craig Bryant, and I'm delighted to bring today's Sunday School lesson out of the book of Romans. Um, well, like last week, we know that the lead news story is the coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you'd like to call it. What we call it is challenging. But I hope that uh, you've created a little bit of a sense of home within your homes. And what I mean by that is there's a new normalcy at the moment. And we know that God can work through all circumstances. We understand completely that um, He is on His throne and He is fully capable and whatever our challenges are to meet our needs. And we'll be talking about that today. You've heard about it from Pastor Keith, from Tony, from Jack, during other vignettes that are part of our website. And today we'll certainly talk about that as we get going in our lesson. But let's begin today with a word of prayer as we open our scripture together. Heavenly Father, as we um, do this time of service uh, amongst you by being away from each other, we pray now that our faith will be strengthened, that our home life will continue to grow in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord as we lead our families. We pray, Father, that as we open your word today, that it will be fresh and anew to us again. Uh, help us to be approved workmen and workwomen who are not ashamed of the gospel. And help us to understand that your promises are true and forever. And now, Lord, may we be faithful to your calling in whatever circumstances we're in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Romans again in our study through the Explore the Bible series. We'll start in chapter 3 momentarily. And as we do so, uh, the title of today's lesson is Justified. And basically, the root behind that is that we're justified by faith in Christ, not by our works or the law or the prophets of old, but instead alone by faith. From dictionary.com, the word justified is defined as to declare innocent or guiltless, absolving or acquitting. Now, this is the theological definition. There's others as it relates to justification. But in particular, I think this is a very good baseline for today's lesson. Being declared innocent or guiltless. I could add, even though we're guilty, um, Christ alone has declared us innocent because of faith alone. And so we're going to read about that as we start our lesson today, and starting in verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus." Well, let's unpack these four verses together here briefly. I had a high school geometry teacher. His name was Mr. Geiger out in small town, West Texas. And he did a great job at helping us understand how to prove various geometric theorems. He had a three-part approach to this, that you could decipher the facts of a problem based upon its component parts. So his first part in proving a theorem was evidence, meaning there's witnesses to or there is proof that something occurred. Number two was facts, things that were irrefutable and not debatable. 
And number three in his proving of theory, theorems was that things tied together where the equation was proof positive with no argument. So if you think about geometric theorems using those three criteria, we're going to do the same thing here in looking at Scripture using those same principles. So first, let's look for evidence. This is in verse 21. God says that there were, um, there was the law, of course, but the righteousness of God was witnessed by the law itself and by the prophets. So there were people and there were judges and activities that went on all throughout the uh, concept of following the law where people could be seen whether they were truly believers in God by what they did and by what people witnessed. You know, in today's world, there are cameras everywhere, stoplights and hallways and restaurants where we can see evidence of someone having been in a place. For many of you, you have cameras around your home. It's meant for safety and security, but for a lot of folks, they find that there are uh, animals that run by or there's a jovialness because you see a neighborhood kid go by on his skateboard and it brings you joy. That's an outcome of having constant surveillance, if you will. Well, in this case, people were constantly trying to prove themselves by saying, look, I kept the law, all components of it. I am following completely. And they wanted to have that pat on the back and that joy that came from saying I could do that. And what we find out here as we get to verse 23 is there's a fact that's irrefutable, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, this is part of the Roman road set of evangelism. If you've ever studied that and shared your faith, oftentimes this is one of the key verses that people have to get their head around. It's a simple, short verse. But by falling short of something, there is a penalty for it. And we know it as the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is salvation. And I can tell you that falling short of something is seldom very uh, exciting. You may strive to get a 4.0 in your classes if you're a student currently. You may strive to have something done where you're trying to lose weight as part of your New Year's resolution and you don't quite make your goal in the time frame that you had uh, been looking to do it in. But I can tell you that in this case, there is an eternal significance in falling, sh falling short of something. And so, as Paul is talking through and going about proving this in the Roman um, book that, uh, that we're re reviewing here and what he had written, we can then look at verse 24 in that context. So, if all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus— is an important part of what he is trying to tell us and trying to prove out. So when we fall short, there is a gift that is given to us. The illustration I'll use here is one that is um, based upon Christmas and Santa Claus. Now, believe me, this is a Sunday school lesson, so I'm not trying to step away from the meaning of Christmas. But I think the illustration's right. Whether Santa knows you to be good or bad, 
um, we all know full well that that is one of those um, uh, ideologies that children take to heart. They want to be seen as good. They want to be seen as someone who can receive gifts from a, a entity. Um, and that Santa Claus model is one that I realize some of you may be squirming in your seat now saying, wait a minute, Craig, let's not talk about that during church. Don't, don't go too far here. I think the illustration's right in that children strive for perfection during those times. But we know throughout those seasons of gift giving around Christmas that they often fall short of that. They make mistakes. They sin on purpose. They do things wrong against their parents. Yet there is gifts given often at the Christmas season, even though the child fell short of perfection. Now, that illustration is one that I realize is a little bit risky here, but I think falls nicely within the parameters of what Paul is speaking about here. That by looking at salvation and righteousness as a gift from God, not because of what we are doing, is important. If you compare Christianity to the world's religions, you quickly find that almost all of the world's ideologies are based upon doing good and making good works because that helps you on your journey towards some some sort of heaven or some sort of reward. Now, friends, we could go through another 30 minutes of what that's all about, but suffice to say, Christianity stands on a salvific storyline where a gift is given through grace, not because of what we deserve. Let's keep reading here, skipping down to verse 27, um, and just look through there, look starting there through verse 31. When that is boasting, it is excluding, it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Let's just take a breath there. Look at that again. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, the key verse that I have underlined in my Bible is verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Well, friends, we could get into a lot of details and stories in theology. There's been books written on this particular passage because you are pivoting from belief in a system to belief in a Savior. And that is hard for some of the Jewish folks to do. And so Paul is trying to be that person who proves this theory once for all, that God is God over all all and for all through faith alone in Christ alone. And so he uses the covenant of circumcision to help prove this, that even though the Jews are set apart through their circumcision that follows part of the law, that the same God is over the Gentiles who are uncircumcised, but can through faith receive 
the same outcomes of belief that the Jews have had for centuries related to the law. And that had to be hard for those to understand who had been living under the jurisdiction of the law for such a long time. And their skepticism is understood because it's new to them. But what Paul is trying to do is say, you had the law, you now have witnesses, and you have the Savior himself who proved beyond the shadow of a doubt what the new covenant was to be. And so in verse 31, he ties it all together and says, do we nullify the law through faith? Nope, may it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. That's a hard thing for those who are seeking Christ and seeking God and how all this fits together to understand. What he is saying is that, and Pastor Keith has said it so well over the months and years, that the whole Bible points to Jesus, whether it's in the law or in Christ coming to earth, living out life, and then going to the cross. Because remember, at the cross, his final words before giving up his spirit was, it is finished. The intent there was everything that has come in human history is a part of prophets, prophecies being fulfilled, and of me, meaning Christ, coming to earth and showing the way it is now done and complete. It is finished. So the going back to Mr. Geiger and his geometric proofs, we had three concepts there. It was, is there evidence? Are there irrefutable facts? And can we tie it all together? And Paul has done that here as a writer of this letter. He then uses, in closing, a few verses in chapter 4 using the great patriarch Abraham. Let's just read verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was used as an example, I believe, because any Jewish person of faith following the law would immediately run to Father Abraham, the one with which the covenant was established. You'll recall Abraham was given a new name. He was Abram before, and then as the covenant was established and these things came to fruition, he was given a new name. There was, as verse 3 says, counted to him as righteousness, because he believed what God had said and had established. That was prior to the cross, of course. Those of us on this side of the cross where it was finished once for all count as righteousness the blood of Christ because all of prophecy and of the testament and the law was fulfilled in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a good closing scripture to tie all this together. Um, let's read through that. In fact, we'll include verse 10. So skip over to your Bible to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God preordained beforehand so that we would walk in them. In closing this lesson, church family, 
the thought behind this is the church at Ephesus needed to understand it as well, not just the church at Rome and those surrounding areas that Paul was trying to prove the theorem with. But the church at Ephesus was struggling with it. And it was boiled down to there's a gift given in Christ alone, and it's been established not as a result of your works, but instead so that we as his workmanship can do and be ready to provide good works on behalf of God and his kingdom. So I want to close this, um, this lesson today with a final illustration. We used last week the concept of a garden where a person could work in a garden and the fruit of his hands and his labor maybe didn't come together as quickly as he or she wanted him to. But boy, it felt great when the garden started producing fruit. That's where many of these folks were. They were stuck in neutral or they were stuck saying, I want my hands to produce good works because it justifies me before God. And instead, we're able to clearly see, nope, those works and the fruit of your hands, that garden you're building is not to help you with your righteousness. It is for God's glory. He has saved you so that the good works of your hands can produce a glorious garden that draws people to the Lord. Now, I'm not just talking about the garden of flowers or of food. That's a wonderful illustration on earth. But friends, as we think in our lives and as you close this lesson with me, think about how the labor of your hands and the work of your prayer life is done for the glory of God alone and how those good works that He establishes, we can be a part of. We can give praise to Him that we are able to be a part of His plan for His glory alone. Well, let's close our lesson in prayer and then we'll wrap up. Lord, the uh, scripture in Romans is one that is both very clear and very difficult because it's dealing in some deep theological truths that are hard to pivot from for many people. Those of old that had a certain way that they thought was the only way and understanding what this new covenant was about. We're grateful, Lord, that we have the entire canon of scripture to help us with that, to bring alongside to us all the things that fit together and prove out not a theory, but the complete plan of God. Thank you for that whole canon of Scripture and for teachers and our pastors who teach from it completely and, and with clarity. And Lord, as we close this lesson, give us a week so that the works of our hands can be done often away from other people, but for the glory of God alone. And Lord, as you bring us back together in the coming weeks and months, away from this time of of difficulty and complexity around the virus. We pray that we will have even more zeal to tell the good news of Jesus to those around us so that people can completely understand the free gift of salvation and accept it and be added to your kingdom for the glory of God alone. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>